3 and AM 516. That was the old regime. Who's going to go to jail for this? KWTO. Here's your weekly dose of Uncommon Sense with Cass. Brought to you by College of the Ozarks. Developing citizens of Christ-like character who are well-educated, hardworking, and patriotic. On 93.3 and AM 560, KWTO. Welcome back. It is Uncommon Sense with Cass, and we have a lot to discuss today. Later on in the show, we have Dr. Randy Tobler. And if you don't know Dr. Tobler, you will love him. Him and I are going to go through some common accusations that the left throws at conservatives and Christians alike and some of the ones that are more difficult to respond to. And he is going to share with us the best responses and the best strategies to combat those accusations with kindness, but with firmness. Can't wait to have that conversation with Dr. Tobler. But for now, I have my good friend, Frank Catanzaro on. He is a political mastermind. He does so many things across the state. It would take a long time to go through his profile. But most importantly, I want to talk about the fact that he is the president. He is the chair of the Missouri State Board of Young Republicans, as well as the chair of the St. Louis chapter. So he knows young conservatives and he knows them well. So he's going to come on today. He's going to share with us some strategies that you can use when you're talking to young people about conservative ideals, life through a conservative lens in a way that doesn't completely turn off young people, especially kind of this new age of young conservatives that may be a a little bit more socially libertarian, but still have conservative values. And so I'm going to bring in Frank now. Good morning, Frank. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Cal. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Frank, you kind of heard that intro there. Tell us your 50,000-foot view on this new generation of young conservatives who are a little different than conservatives in the past. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, uh, just so you, your listeners know, uh, I, I kind of tend to be more of a uh, social and fiscal conservative. But I would say that, you know, you're seeing more and more young people that are getting involved that are probably more fiscally conservative, but a little bit more liberal leaning on some of the social issues. Now, they're not far left on these social issues, but they might be all right with, with gay rights, with some of the transgender stuff. Um, they might be a little bit not big on the abortion issue. So basically any of these culture war type issues, I always recommend trying to kind of avoid those and focus on the issues of the day that are more important. And I'm, and I'm happy to kind of discuss what those are um, on this program today. Yeah, absolutely. You know me, I'm a culture warrior, so I'm always happy to get into the fray on some of the culture issues. But some of the other groups that are trying to just get some of these young people's foot in the door of politics may want to avoid those, which, you know, to each their own. But there are issues that will pull them in. And then you can address some of the more tricky issues after you get their foot in the door. What are those issues? That's exactly right, Cass. And and so the issues you want to talk to first, let's say you have a friend that you're trying to kind of figure out where they're at. You want them to get more involved politically, and you think they're probably a good fit to be a young Republican or at least a Republican voter. Focus on the key issues like the economy, the jobs market, inflation. It's, it's the economy stupid. I mean, we've heard that phrase how many times growing up, it's the economy stupid. It really is the economy. It's the issue that guides a lot of young voters. And so a lot of folks right now, young people, you know, they're not making probably is what they expected to make coming out of college, right, with that first job. And they're feeling the squeeze of inflation. They're seeing that the cost when they go to a restaurant or fast food is just keep going up and up and up. 
and maybe they're a first time home buyer or at least trying to be, and they're seeing that they got to pay anywhere between six to 7% of the mortgage rate. So talk to them about those issues and, and show them that we have the policy solutions to get back to, you know, a level playing field for them, you know, to get yeah. back to a stronger economy, to get inflation under control. Let's get our mortgage rates back down. Let's make the American dream more att- attainable to folks. Right. And, and that's how you can really connect with someone that, you know, might not necessarily agree where you're at on a, on a social or a culture warrior issue. And, you know, you focus on the economy. Um, there's a couple other issues I'll mention, but, you know, do, if you want to talk a little bit more about that, I'm happy to, Cass. Yeah. So you you touched on something that I'm going to get in depth with uh, Dr. Tobler here in a little bit on. It's um, some of those economic issues that um, maybe some of these college kids haven't had to deal with yet. They may not realize what, you know, mortgage rates or whatever, how that's going to impact their life. And a lot of times the left likes to throw at Republicans. They like to say that we don't care about the social safety net, that we want people, if you're a lower middle class, that we don't care about you, um, fend for yourself. But that's not even close to the truth. What are some of those conservative policies that are better for that college kid that's getting ready to graduate and meet financial responsibility for the first sure. time? Sure. And, and one of the shiny objects that the left, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, the, the shiny object the left always tries to dangle is the student loan forgiveness. It's Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, which would forgive $10,000 of student loan debt. You know, we, you and I both know that that is not a sustainable policy. You and I both know that all the universities are going to do is raise their tuition rates over time to basically take away whatever value would come from that that $10,000 student loan forgiveness. Because all we're doing is adding more and more public debt and saddling our generation with that. You know, there, there are better ways to reform the cost of education. And, and you know, we have to discuss the prescription, the right fix to these issues that isn't throwing more government money at the problem. If anything, throwing government money at these problems is just making the problem worse. And it's just saddling our generation with more and more debt. And I think young people can understand that um, if you, you know, kind of explain, well, here's what the impact is of this policy. And, you know, we're, we're living it right now. We're seeing the impact of these, these leftist, big government policies. We're all living it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, some of these common bombs that get thrown at us then when we talk about, you know, cutting taxes and being more fiscally responsible are sob stories, essentially, of, oh, my grandpa, who he's, what if he loses his Social Security? Or, oh, what about that single mother who she can't afford to work and pay child care? Yeah, absolutely. These are real issues. But conservatives have thought about these things, right? They also care. They just have a different approach. The left doesn't want you to know that. What are, what is your response to those accusations? Well, and and when people say that you're trying to take social security away from my grandfather or grandmother, or you're trying to take the, you know, the, the single mom who's making very little money off of welfare, those are just not true accounts. I don't know any Republican plan that's taking money away from folks that really need it. It's the folks that don't really need it, the, the able-bodied working adults, not the retired folks, not the single mom uh, that really needs it. it, it you know, it, it is the left trying to create a narrative that's not true. And we have, to, we have to find ways to articulate that. And we can show, hey, here, here's what this policy actually does. 
and you know, it's, it's very hard for people to get swindled by the other side. Um, we all know the left is much better at messaging than we are, but conservatives, Republicans are getting better at trying to control that merit narrative and getting that messaging to folks. So they actually know what the truth is and what our policies really are and what the impact of them will really be. And that's what we have to do Cass, as, as young Republicans is we have to make sure that the next generation, our generation knows the truth and knows that we have the right uh, policy in place to fix these problems. Absolutely. You, you touched on how the left is better at messaging what can we do to change that? How can we, what platforms do we need to be on? What sure. marketing tactics do we need to use to change that? Well, you know, there's the unfortunate truth is we are on these platforms. We are on TikTok. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. But the problem is um, our, our messages are getting, you know, they're either banning our our are people that are on there or they're shadow banning so that more people don't see our stuff. We have to be more vigilant. Our elected officials that have regulatory oversight over these platforms, if they do have to be more vigilant to ensure that our voices are not being drowned out. Our voices are not being silenced because that is not what democracy is about. That is not what, what this country is all about. And we have to make sure that we do fight on that front to make sure that our message gets out there. Another way that we can kind of overcome the social media obstacle is to hold local events. I know that you're doing a lot of great work down in Springfield, growing the Young Republican chapter, holding local events, getting more people out and involved, um, going door to door, getting the right candidates into office. Um, You know, there's a lot to be said for a candidate that shows up and meets with voters directly at their door for an event. And, and that's important. And I, I'd say Republicans need to start doing more of that, you know, on the local state and federal level, get out there and talk to voters. You know, uh, the media is always going to cover events when politicians show up. So that's another way we can, we can get on to, you know, local media. That's somewhere where, you know, yes, that information can be manipulated from time to time, but you know, that is reaching a wider demographic, at least in your area. Yeah, and I always point out an example of a, a group of conservatives who are doing media well right now, because um, there's a lot that are not doing it well. But I think that right. the folks at the Daily Wire, they're doing some genuinely good work because mm-hmm. they have figured out where to be to meet young people and to meet you know, the average person who can be reached with a conservative message where they're at. They're not asking them necessarily to come into a hyper-political space. They're talking about life through a conservative lens. They're talking about right. sports or celebrity gossip and things like that, but they're but they're talking about those things that the average person cares about while also giving their thoughts on those situations through the through the lens and the voice of somebody who sees the world as a Christian or a conservative or even, you know, a middle ground individual because the Daily Wire has a, a pretty wide variety of opinions right. on their show, all the way from Jordan Peterson, who's an atheist conservative from Canada, all the way to Brett Cooper, who's a Southern Baptist Christian homeschool kid who grew up and is extremely far right. And I think that's brilliant what they're doing there. I agree. And, and you brought up a really good point, And I think it's going to touch on that is the difference between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, in my opinion, is we have so many differing voices and views in our party. And we're open to hearing those. 
you know, you might not necessarily agree with 100% of, of what Ben Shapiro has to say, right? But you're going to tune in and hear him out and get his position. And, and there might be someone else on that program that has a totally different view, or it might be just slightly different. We are more open-minded to differing views within our party, at least to hearing them out. We might not agree, but we have respect, yeah. and we hear them out, and we realize that our party really is more of a melting pot of, of you know, individual liberty and, yeah. and, 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 and big government. I mean, we, we have a, I do believe that the Republican Party is a much bigger tent than people claim it is. And, and there's room for, for folks, you know, center, center right Republicans, far right, you know, kind of middle in the center. There, we, we have that, that space for folks. And I think Daily Wire is doing a really good job at utilizing their different um, assets, you know, through social media, through their, through their website, through their articles, Instagram. I mean, I get their stuff all over the place. Twitter. Um, I, I probably run across their posts several times a day and I'm always usually reading them because they're interesting. And, and I think that's important. And folks that lean, uh, you know, on more of the Republican, they're going to try to find those resources that are available because there aren't as many, you know, you've got Fox news, you've got Newsmax, you've got daily wire. Um, there aren't as many outlets that are kind of catered to Republican voters as there are to the left. And I do think that folks that want to get engaged do seek those resources out. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody to emulate for sure. Thank you so much, Frank, for coming on this morning and sharing with us your wisdom that you've learned over the years of working with young Republicans directly. We really appreciate your insight, and we hope to have you back again soon on the program. Well, absolutely, Kath. I appreciate it. All righty, guys. We're going to come right back with Dr. Randy Tobler to dissect a little bit more some com- uh, co- some combating arguments to some of the worst accusations we get on the right side of the aisle here. Can't wait to talk to you more about it with Dr. Tobler just after these episodes. Every day in America, nearly 300 young people will die from fentanyl. We will support increased funding for border patrol. News. Weekday afternoons 4 to 6 on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Here's your weekly dose of Uncommon Sense with Cass. Brought to you by College of the Ozarks. Developing citizens of Christ-like character who are well-educated, hardworking, and patriotic. On 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Alrighty, as promised, Dr. Randy Tobler is joining Uncommon Sense with Cass for his maiden voyage on my weekend show. Super excited to have him. Usually, he just talks to me on the phone before his hits with Tim Jones on Wednesday mornings. But today, he's coming on Uncommon Sense. Good morning, Dr. Tobler. Welcome to the show. Good morning. It's great to be with you, Cass. You said maiden voyage. Uh, I'm all buckled up with my life vest and the, the, you know, the... The buoys are out, and so we're ready to go. Yes, you should be scared, because I'm going to put you on the spot with some difficult questions. I know. it's Be, be scared. Be very scared. Cass is a very frightening person. Absolutely not. <laughs> well, I want to start with asking you, you know, we on the conservative right side of the aisle tend to get some accusations by leftists or even by, you know, moderates and, and you know, traditional Democrats a lot of times um, that sometimes can be hard to respond to or hard to um, argue with if you're not a real policy junkie. 
And so my my goal with Uncommon Sense is to make conservative, you know, worldview items make sense and and make them accessible to mm-hmm. everybody. And so I'm going to throw out one of the accusations that we get a lot, and I want to hear your best conservative rebuttal to that. The accusation okay. is that we do not care about the social safety net and we want people to fend for themselves and we don't care about protecting the most vulnerable among us. So what's your response to that? Well, I think, I think that uh, there's a problem with the logic and the way those questions are posed by the left. And I think you, you targeted that maybe unknowingly when you said that they say we don't care about the social safety net. And that, that's absolutely, there's a presumption there that we think the social safety net is the right answer for all of society's ills collectively and individually. Right. And it's, it's not that we don't care about the social safety net. I think the headline that my rebuttal usually takes is, well, I'm all for a properly sized, a right size safety net. It's just a matter of who gets that, where is it coming from? And is it a safety net or is it a hammock? Because we all know that the very people that usually ask these questions are the ones that um, will talk about whether it's organizations that they lead or they're part of, or maybe if you talk to them about parenting or if you talk to them about the way they lead their lives. Sooner or later, if you tip a beer with them, they'll talk, they'll use terms like tough love. Well, yeah, I had to use tough love with my kids if you don't do that. Well, a hammock instead of a social safety net, is anything but accountability. And a lot of people, sadly, will become too comfortable in that. And that's not good for them, and it's not good for society. So, yeah, I mean, I, my rebuttal is, look, we all, we all, the human nature, the fallen human nature is that, yeah, if we're not challenged, if we're not made accountable for our behavior, and a lot of these things are the result of behavioral choices, Um, we tend to be comfortable in safety nets. And so we want to help those who are truly in need. We want to make uh, it clear, though, that it's good for the soul. It's good for the society's pocketbook to have an accountable right-size safety net. And the question is, where does it come from? That's the second question. I'm, uh, I'm one who really believes that most efficiently safety nets come from the family first, um, the, the community and its institutions like church and, and you know, Rotary and uh, Lions Club and Optimus, you know, that kind of thing. And, and that government should be a last resort because we all know that government is not the most efficient. No matter anyone that objectively looks at government and their functions, it's not the most efficient way to deliver any service. Right, right. And, you know, I, I feel like we don't even get enough credit for how big our social safety net is already. I mean, they like to say it's not big enough. They give us all these sob stories and they say Republicans are just so heartless. But if I were a struggling person right now, I can tell you five ways from Sunday that I can go make sure that I am fed, clothed, and housed for free for an indefinite amount of time, easily accessible just about anywhere, even in small-town yeah. rural America. And so, yeah. so talk to me a little bit about some of the solutions that conservatives and Republicans um, tend to get not enough credit for that they do offer up to society. Well, I think one that I'm most familiar with, of course, is the, is the really pretty expansive network of um, pregnancy support centers. I mean, they're, they're spread Preach. across the land, and they do a great, great job of supporting women who find themselves in 
crisis situations. And it's really, you know, those are, man, I've, I've seen those throughout my entire career. And it's, it's really heartwarming to see how, uh, and boy, you, you see these supported wholly, not by government, not by subsidies at the state, federal, county level, but wholly by donations and either in time and or money, right? A lot of people will donate their their time to staff those places, uh, you know, and they and you see how then the, the women in these situations, uh, maybe they've been abandoned by their partner, maybe uh, they didn't have a partner except at the very beginning and that there's nothing, zero, no support, no family support. I've seen people, you know, be provided, like you, you mentioned, housing, temporary housing. I've seen, you know, obviously clothing, you know, maybe hand-me-down stuff. So people find a way to get that done to these community organizations. Um, uh, and and that's just one example. I think uh, now the food banks are another example where, you know, there is support in some cases from some government support. But many of those, too, emanate directly from the, the religious institutions and the faith. Church uh, food banks. What, I don't know a yeah. church out there that doesn't have a food bank and a, you know, a right. crisis uh, pantry for people who really need it. And, or support one. Yeah. yeah. You're right. and, and let me pose to you this. Is it myth or is it fact that the majority of charitable, large, significant charitable don- donors to charities tend to be right-leaning people? Is that true or is that false? Well, I think that if you look at it as a percentage of how people identify, so a percentage of charitable donations, where do they come from demographically? They come from conservatives, people that identify as conservatives, faith-based people, uh, Republicans. I mean, if you just look at self-identified registered Republicans versus Democrats, the data I have seen, it's pretty consistent. It really hasn't changed. It comes mainly from those that that group of people. And so, yeah, as far as being hard-hearted, I don't know. They may be hard-hearted, if that's what you want to call them, but they're soft-walleted. Mm-hmm. Wallets are uh, pretty much open, you know, and you, the, the people that tend to want a bigger safety net are always very happy to, to pull the Margaret Thatcher ploy, right? We need to have a bigger safety net that I need to administer and have a bunch of bureaucrats and hired hands, uh, you know, more, more, more government workers. Uh, it needs to come from your money. We need to increase your taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've often thought those social safety netters would have a lot more uh, credibility if they would write a few checks. You know, you can give some money, extra money to the IRS, you know, if you want. Not a problem. Go ahead and do it. always want to spend someone else's money. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and tell me this. I don't know a Republican or, nay, I don't want to just say Republican because I tend to get fed up with a lot of Republicans these days. Conservatives, Christian, you know, evangelical type of people. I don't know a single one who would not help out somebody who is genuinely in need, right? I don't know a single one of them who doesn't believe that there should be, to a degree, some sort of social safety net for people who really, really need it for a leg up, but not a permanent situation. However, what what we do have a problem with is we look around and we see the obvious. We see people who are so comfortable just sitting on welfare or sitting on government programs for all of time and eternity because it's easier than advancing your situation out of that, even though there is every opportunity in the world available to you to do so. There are people on welfare who who are making 
a, a pretty decent living wage doing nothing. There are people abusing the system. There are people claiming disability where they do not have a strong enough disability to justify not working. It's getting out of control. And then we see this, you know, the left wants to throw at you all. The, what about the homeless? What about the homeless? Well, look around, okay? It's it's obvious. The homeless crisis is a drug problem. It's largely not a oh, down on your luck situation. It is a drug problem, right? So so why do we get told that we're just so heartless when we're looking around and trying to see just the obvious common sense around us? Uh, yeah, again, I think that the approach that, that I think we need to continue to emphasize is that entitlement is like booze or marijuana or any drug. It's a, it becomes an addiction, and these people get into a lifestyle that they they maybe at some point just forget that there is another way out there, and that's called gutting it out with a hard day's work and downsizing your expenditures and routing your expenditures to clothing and food rather than alcohol and cigarettes, for instance, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and yet, if we're going to have a social safety net, it probably ought to, ought to be diverted to take that money. And I'm talking about if you're not going to immediately shrink the pie, change a bigger piece of that pie, take it away from the handouts that are really lifestyle and behaviorally choice dependent, right. uh, the need for those. And give, we do need more rehab programs. We do need more yeah. you know, mental health professionals to say, hey, okay, you're here for rehab because guess what? You're not going to get that handout from the government. You're going to get, we know that it takes on average X amount of time in a person in your situation to become a functional worker. So we're going to continue to provide you with health and food and clothing and a shelter for 60 days while you go through this program. Otherwise, you're out on the street and your benefits go away. And sorry, it, you, sadly, I think we've all been there at one point in our life, Cass. And that's where, you know, when mom and dad kick you out of the nest and they stop paying the bills and, you know, oh, my God, it's, it's game on. I got to actually pay my own way. You know, at some point in your life, someone loses a job. Some, there's, a, there's a change. Okay, when you're in the valley, that's when you say, whoa, okay, wake up call. It's a Rhett Butler moment, you know. It's like, whoop, slap in the face, time to wake up. Got to, got to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And, it, and until a lot of folks get to that valley point, that in-the-gutter point, and they're just hopeless, they're not going to make a change. And it's sad to say that, but that's the human condition. I mean, that's, that's our fallen state, right? We've, right. <laughs> and, 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 and many of those folks don't, don't really have the, they haven't had the fulfillment that comes with a good day's work and that good, honest, tired you get and the feeling of the food I'm going to eat, the, the, the shirt I'm going to put on my back, I earned that. And um, I think that forcing people into that desperation is actually a good thing for them. I know that sounds hard-hearted, but if, if the liberals, the progressive liberal, bleeding-heart liberals were honest with themselves, they'd admit that either one of their children or more, or maybe themselves or someone they know, didn't change and straighten up and fly right until they were left to be accountable without enablement. And that's, that's a hard pill to swallow, but sometimes you need to take the castor oil. You know what's insane to me sometimes, though, is I see people all the time who you would think, man, this has got to be their rock bottom. Man, this has got to be the moment that, that this is their wake-up call. And then they mm-hmm. continue to, to, vic- to, to play the victim card 
where it's not, I mean, what more can you possibly do for people who are determined to be a rotten plague to society? And I I don't know a nicer way to say that. You just threw me a high hanging curve because the one thing we haven't mentioned here about the, the beauty of private, most often faith-based charity. The beauty about that is there's no encumbrances from witnessing about the God of the universe and how we're ultimately dependent on him in our worst moments and thankful in our best. Absolutely. And, and, and state workers, God love them. I mean, I know their caseloads. They're good people. They get bitter too, by the way, a little behind the curtain secret. Yeah. Talk to a social worker when, when he or she starts out right out of college and they join the state uh, DFS or whatever and talk to them five, ten years later, they're bitter as can be because they see the abuse. And many of them, if they're faith-based, they feel um, they feel sort of handcuffed as far as witnessing their faith because, God forbid, we have a separation of church and state. There's a wall there. I can't do that. I'm a government worker, you know. And, uh, and, and, and that's why I really believe we all, I think, if you ever, you know, you know they say people, there, there's no atheist in the foxhole, right? And people know that ultimately you have to depend on someone other than yourself, and there's a higher being that provides all for us. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's where I think the secret sauce comes in, faith-based programs. I remember when I was on the board of Lutheran Family and Children's Services years ago in St. Louis, I was really heartened because when we would get the monthly report from, uh, you know, a social worker would come in, give us a success story, or sometimes not. But the constant theme was, like, we were able to deliver the gospel message along with some clothing and subsidy. Uh, sub- subsidy. Yeah. That is a, that's a one plus one that equals 10, maybe 20. I don't know, but that's called synergism. When you're a government worker and you can't deliver that message in a passionate and heartfelt way, you deliver a check and you click the box and you got to get on to the next case. With and I'm no not discouraging hope. these people. That's right. So that's the point. We, we can, we can through faith, faith-based charity, yield those benefits and the added benefit of knowing the Lord Jesus. And, you know, I mean, I, and I know that sounds proselytizing. It sounds like a very, you know, what is this, the 700 Club? No, it's on common sense with cast. But, I mean, I'm sorry. I think that's a big advantage. It's a big advantage to private charity. I'm extremely glad that you went there because I go there all the time on this show. And, you know, this is my show, oh, and I can do that if I want <laughs> Good. to. And so um, <laughs> I, I want to I wanna add on to that. That, you know, as Christians, as people who have had a genuine relationship, people who have a genuine relationship with the Lord and have felt that life change and that hope and that that peace, we know that there absolutely is no hope that can be found anywhere else. But besides, you know, there, there, there's there's no there's no way out of that just dark darkness and disparity that you see around you. And so. I love charities that not only provide people a hand up from the private donations, not government subsidies, but the ones who at the same time truly mind, body, and and soul rehabilitate somebody. One of those that we have here in Springfield is called Freeway Ministries. John Stroop is one of the leaders of that. And I love this ministry. I love it so much. My church helps them out. What they do is they take... Um, ex-cons who are out of the prison system, a lot of them were in the prison system for violent crime, like or or, or gang culture, drug culture, a lot of a lot of drug culture. They bring them mm-hmm. into this ministry and send them through a program 
and then and then and then enable them to get jobs and to they they not only rehabilitate them from you know their life of crime but they connect them with quality community they share the gospel and they hook them up with a an ability to continue and sustain their rehabilitation post program right and so they make right. sure that those those guys are staying in good employment and staying with good community because i i, I don't believe that you can do that alone, right? Like God puts good community around you to to keep to hold you up and to to support you, and those are the types of places that people can genuinely receive hope and help and and overcome dark circumstances. A check from the government that recurs all the time that provides you with no sort of direction or or um you know hope on the horizon. That's never going to fulfill. That's never going to bring you to a place of of joyful living not just happiness but joy right look these people's when people get to this point and maybe they've always been in a place where like like a radiator that's leaking they they get a little dose of what they call love through a, a sex for drugs scheme or a uh, you know, one of those kind of deals or, you know, food for a uh, night's housing for in exchange for something. And that, that's how they fill up their radiator. But the leak is still there. And the only way to patch the leak is with some mentoring and some love and and grace from people who maybe have been there or done that in one way or another before. Like I said, we all have in, to one degree. And yeah. um, that's the only way it's, it's sort of thinking a big sister's big brother's approach. Right. I mean, and that's that's the basic template that the most successful programs, uh, prison ministries, others use. It's uh, it's realizing you got a friend there to lean on. We all need a friend, and ultimately we all have a higher friend that you know we we collectively lean on and our branches up. And you know, but these a lot of these, especially kids and youth who they've never known anything different, and and so it's a whole new world for them, and it takes a lot of commitment more than the government can ever do. Even if the government wanted to, they can't do it because it's a personal relationship that it takes, like you said, through community, through that employer who, you know, drives to the kid's house when they don't show up on Saturday morning at eight o'clock to sweep the floor at the grocery store. Um, You know, God love them, but the government workers, that's not their job description. And if they wanted to, they'd get in trouble because there's some form 109635 that says they can't do it because exactly. of liability. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, it takes personal relationships, not some, yep. you know, government drone that doesn't care about you. And yep. they always talk, the government's got, people like AOC try to make the government out to be like Mother Teresa, like, oh, we care about you. The government, care, they do not care about you. It's people like you just talked about, small town shop owners who hire that yep. troubled teen, knowing that that troubled teen's going to miss work, knowing that troubled teen's going to have an attitude, but they genuinely care about making sure that troubled teen maybe makes it in life. And like you said, I love what you said about them driving to the house of that kid at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning, because I've seen people, I, I, I know people here in Southwest Missouri who do things like that and they care about yeah. people and they don't use a single penny of government money to do so. I, I understand no. that it does take, there is some government assistance that may be necessary out there, especially single mothers. And guess sure. who, guess who just recently put out a bill, um, that, that was signed into law by the governor recently that does support, you know, healthcare for, you know, crisis pregnancies and mothers. It was a Republican state representative that did that. A Republican. It was Melanie Stinnett from down here in Southwest Missouri. 
So I don't want to hear that we don't care because we do. We just have a completely different philosophy from the left that says Mother Teresa doesn't come from the government. It comes from the churches and the charities and good, honest people. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad to hear that there was some legislation to help that uh, that situation. You know, I, there's a whole other side to this that we should probably talk about some other time. But yeah. that's that's the fact that when those people do take risks to involve them, them their lives with people who are at risk for violent behavior, they need to feel safe. And increasingly, this this lawless society we have actually discourages personal relationships with with difficult people. Let's be honest about it. These yeah. people that are troubled and they're they're like cornered animals. We get that, and they they'll, they'll bite out at you. And you need to feel safe. And I'm afraid we're, you know, we've got that cognitive dissonance going on from a policy standpoint, too. We've got to address that. Yeah. Dr. Tobler, I need to have you back on again soon because there's so much more I want to discuss and that we can unpack another time. I want to talk to you um, soon, probably in the next couple of weeks, if you're willing and able, um, about how some of this disparity that we're seeing in people that we used to see kind of in that 20s, 30s, crowd just drug culture homelessness it's getting it's creeping into the younger generations i want to talk about kind of the philosophy behind why we're seeing younger and younger people um get involved in some very dangerous cultural practices and activities i want to talk about maybe some of the things in culture that are telling people that are distorting right from wrong good from evil flipping them on their heads and i'd love to discuss that with you again another time always fun yeah no i'm glad you're tackling the big issues from a from a, from a big you know um strategic standpoint because we never really need to rethink the way we're the way we're trying to help people in the end it's counterproductive the way yeah, things are going absolutely mm-hmm. Good. well Good thank you so much for your time today and i can't wait to talk to you again soon my pleasure have a good one. You as well. That was Dr. Randy Tobler on Uncommon Sense with Cass this morning. He's amazing. I just, I hang on every word he says. He's so wise and I can't wait to have him on again soon. We're going to be back with one more little bit of Uncommon Sense with Cass on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The news and talk. This 1023 form is not classified. That matters to Springfield. There's no reason for them not to work with us on this investigation. Less humid, I think, by the afternoon, but still hot with a high near 92. I'm Fox 49 meteorologist Jamie Warner. Here's your weekly dose of Uncommon Sense with Cass. Brought to you by College of the Ozarks. Developing citizens of Christ-like character who are well-educated, hardworking, and patriotic. On 93.3 and AM 560, KWTO. Third and final segment here for Uncommon Sense with Cass. Got to tell you guys a story that I heard last night that really moved me and gave me a lot of hope for people my age right now. Um, I want to give a big shout out to the Christian County MRA group, Missouri Republican Assembly. They had invited all of us um, from the Young Republicans and Turning Point USA chapters um, out to their event the other night to um, kind of just share what young people, young conservatives have on their mind, what's important to us. And they let us have the floor. We all took turns just kind of sharing what we're about and what are the things that we're hearing from our peers. And um, within that, I met one girl who was not officially part of any chapter, but she came out anyways to participate as somebody who is a 
person who is young and conservative. And she was sharing her story of how not too long ago, she was a blue-haired, literally had blue hair, leftist progressive, like the most progressive you could possibly get. She said at one point in time, she thought she might have been a man. So she was definitely part of the Alphabet Mafia, the LGBTQ army. She had um, rooted herself very deeply in that community. And now she is a beautiful young woman who is liberated from that and is um, a total conservative. And I mean, not just a little conservative. She is she is very, very conservative. And so she was sharing her story of what let her out of that darkness and out of that dark period. And, you know, of course, she she said, you know, Jesus is one of the reasons that I'm out of that. But additionally, she talked about how she did not think that kids should be exposed to some of the things she was a part of. And when she started to see kids being brought into things like Pride Fest and pornographic books in school libraries, elementary school libraries and things like that, it kind of started to wake her up a little bit. And she had also mentioned something so profound that the community she found in progressivism, which she thought was where she was finding family, was not a community at all. She talked about how self-centered and self-focused liberalism is, how everything's about me, me, me. What do I feel? What are my boundaries? What... You know, how can people cater to my feelings and my truth and my reality? But the problem is, is when everybody is super, super focused and grounded in their truth versus the truth versus absolute truth, nobody's going to be advocating to help others. Nobody's going to be sacrificing of themselves to build up a friend or a brother or a sister. And that's where in conservatism and especially in Christian conservatism, There is such a stronger sense of community that's not often bragged about or talked about because we don't flaunt it on social media and overcompensate for the lack of community by trying to pretend on social media that we have such a better community, right? Because we have this quiet, brotherly love, sacrificial, selfless love for one another where, you know, Many would lay down their life for their friend or they would drop everything that they're doing in a moment's notice to go be there for somebody in need. You know, that's why churches have meal meal trains for people who have lost a loved one or are, they're sick. That's why, you know, there's people who would drop everything to go, you know, help a family whose house burned down, rebuild. It's, it's selfless. It's sacrificial. And so she started to realize that because she said, you know, despite having all of these friends that I found in progressivism, I thought I felt so alone. I felt that if I really was struggling, if I really needed somebody, that they wouldn't be there for me because they were too busy throwing out all the buzzwords like protecting my peace, boundaries, blah, 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 that nobody would truly be there for her, especially if she started to question the the mainstream narrative, the mainstream cult that is liberalism. 
I think it's so funny sometimes that liberals like to be the ones who are always calling out all of our Christian evangelical cults. They call it, they call them, you know, there's all these documentaries about Hillsong or the IBLP and there's some underlying truths in some of those things, but they like to call any faith movement a cult, but they haven't really looked inward because progressivism in and of itself, the LGBTQ mafia has become a cult in and of itself. It is something that if you dare to step a toe out of line in, you will lose all of your friends. Your social media comment sections will be full of the most hateful, hurtful things you've ever seen. You will be, you, you, you could be one of the most progressive people out there, but if you accidentally slip up and say one thing that might not be quite in line, you will automatically be burned at the stake. You will be called some of the worst things that us conservatives and Republicans are called on a daily basis. Bigot, racist, homophobic, all of the phobics, all of the isms and ists, all of the ways that they can say that we're basically like Hitler and Nazi Germany. We're just so fascist, blah, 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 blah. It's funny that the most socialist, communistic group out there right now is the one calling us the fascists but that's just an aside so this girl was talking about that and i thought it was really interesting that one of the things she brought up that kind of woke her up out of progressivism was not what i was expecting it was all the things i just talked about but she also brought up covid she brought up how It bothered her, even as a progressive atheist at the time, I think she said atheist, that they um, started demanding that churches close. And she was like, wait a second, that's illegal. It doesn't matter if I don't go to church. She said, it bothered me deeply that they could close churches. She said, you know, we're the, we were the party that always said separation of church and state, separation of church and state, but we were starting to demand things as the state to churches when we were the ones not wanting churches to demand things of the state. And I was not expecting her to say that. I did not realize that something like that would bother a progressive liberal. And, uh, You know, I kind of liked that she brought that up. It kind of gave me some hope that maybe some of these policy points are being paid attention to and also that nobody's too far gone. Some of the super, super progressive libs that I know that I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's no way they'll ever change their mind. They're rooted too deep in it. They're too far gone. It's not very Christ-like of me to say not very christ-like of me to think that somebody could be too far gone now it is you know the human side of me looks at some of these people that i know that they're they're so out there that they're transgender completely they're like literally worshiping satan they're super spiritualist you know like with crystals and all of these things and they're the ones that are out marching in pride parades and things like that To me, it seems like, how could I ever reach them? How would they ever listen to me? There's too much divide there between our our two groups. 
They hate me. They unfollowed me on Facebook. They, they unfollowed me on Instagram. They talk about me. Blah, 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 blah. They'll never listen to me. And then I hear a story like this girl who came to our Young Republicans event. And I think, man, at some point, some of them are going to wake up and they're going to realize that they have bought in to something that is so far from reality, so delusional to believe that men can be women and women can be men, to believe that you can sexualize children, to believe that communism is a good idea. They're going to start waking up. And I pray, I don't just hope, but I literally pray that more people become like her and more people start to wake up out of this delusion. We'll be joined with more of this. I hope to get her on the show on Uncommon Sense with Cass. Thank you guys so much for being with us for this whole episode. Hope to catch you again next week on Uncommon Sense with me, your host, Cass Bowen Anderson. Okay, forest animals, today is a new day. Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow. Yes? Have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. Okay, River. Dude. How's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. Perfect for a little riverside shoeless relaxation. Ah, good. Owl, you here? Cool. Who's asking? I am. Look, you know the drill. Sleep during the day, scare the kids at night. Perfect. I love my job. Uh, Oak Tree? Sup? Still in the same place I left you last year. That's what I like. Consistency. Well, it's not like I'm going anywhere for the next couple hundred years. I know. I love it. Uh, Turtle. Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, he's late every morning. You'd think he would have learned by now to leave the night before our meetings. Okay. Squirrel. Has anybody seen Mr. Yes, Squirrel? Yes. The forest has been preparing just for you. Visit a forest near you today.